Well, good morning, everyone. I want to take a moment to uh, introduce our uh, Bible teacher for this year. Dr. Gary Cockerell is a, uh, a name and a face that's familiar to us. He's been here and served us both as an evangelist and a Bible teacher before. And for the last uh, several years, Gary and Rosa have come and, and been a part of our camp every year. And so it was a great pleasure that uh, I was able to invite Gary to come and uh, to share with us this year. Uh, I want you uh, all to know, did everybody get a copy of the notes? Uh, okay, let me keep your hands up and I'll pass these around. I wanted to say, um, and I shared this with Mrs. Buswell, I was Dr. Bob Buswell's assistant uh, for three years at Malone College, and passing out, new, or passing out papers is about all he ever let me do. And so I'm very proficient at that, but I've even handed that off to Randy. So, uh, Gary, will you come and share with us? Before Gary begins, I want to uh, take a moment and to pray for him as he readies. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Gary, for uh, his spirit, for his wisdom, for the many gifts that you've given to him. Lord, thank you that you have prepared him as he has prepared uh, these lessons for us. Lord, we pray your anointing will be upon him, that as he shares out of a, a vast reservoir of wisdom, that, Lord, you would use that uh, not only to increase our knowledge, but, Lord, to increase our love for you. Bless him in all ways, Lord. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Join with me, if you will. Um, let's just sing the refrain to the chorus, 10,000 Reasons. Just We'll do it a cappella, and it's, it's pretty simple. You can follow it. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I worship your holy name. Now you've got it. We'll do it again. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Oh, my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship your holy name. Bible study should always lead, spring from and lead to worship of the God we're studying about. We don't study about God just to have some idea. We study about it to know him and to worship him and to love him and to obey him. Um, Five years ago, oh, first let me say, you, I don't have to tell you that my wife and I love Camp Psyker, do I? I don't, think I, have to t I, I don't think I have to tell that to anybody. We've started coming. Our grandson has really been blessed here. We've been blessed here. And uh, it's just when uh, we arrived on the camp, campground this year, it was, a, it was just that feeling of being at home and of being loved, and we don't have to tell you that. But also, I do want to express my thanks for Matt asking me to do these Bible studies. It does mean I have to work this year. I can't just lounge around like usual. But, um, um, but it is a real, a real privilege to do so. Well, about uh, five years ago, we visited our son-in-law's parents in Turkey. They had been there for 42 years, Mike and Deanne O'Donnell. And they took us to the ancient city of Ephesus. Now, when you, when you, you get off the train, 
at Seljuk, which is the modern city of Ephesus, one of the first things you see is this ancient Roman aqueduct, that, uh, the ruins of it, that once, ca once carried water to the, to the Roman city. Um, so we arrived in Seljuk on an afternoon, checked into our bed and breakfast, and um, here's a picture of Mike and Deanne at that bed uh, having breakfast with Rosa. Obviously, I'm not in the picture because I took it, um, but, I, but I, I was there. We were having a, a really nice Turkish breakfast. Um, Mike and Deanne had lived in Turkey for 42 years, and uh, Mike particularly was as fluent in Turkish as he was in English. Uh, he had a degree in archaeology from the University of Istanbul, so he was the perfect guide to take you to Ephesus. Ephesus. Well, we sat there, breakfast, and this is the bed and breakfast from the street. We sat there and read the book of Ephesians through before we went to the old city. And then a Turkish friend of theirs came by in his car and took us a couple of short miles to the... Um, actually, I need that light to be able to see my notes, please. If you'd turn it back on. I'm not, I'm not worried that those aren't bright. We're not going to depend on the, on the overhead. It doesn't, it's dull in the daytime. That's why you have notes as a handout. And by the way, those notes are also all on the website in both PDF and Word format. So if anybody wants to download them and, and take, use them on a computer, you can, you can, um, you can do that if, if you um, want to. They, some of you have already printed them off from the... From the um, website. But so um, this is the bed and breakfast we were in before we were, we were taken to the old city. And ever, we read, we read Ephesians through. And ever since that day, I, ha, I, I just became captivated with the book of Ephesians. And ever since that day, I have spent multiple, multiple hours reading through and working on and putting in my, in my heart Ephesians, both in the English and the, and the Greek text. And um, so um, I've just been soaking in that for five years. And I really haven't used it for anything um, up until now. Uh, and I, when, I, when Matt asked me to do these Bible studies last year, when he asked me last year to do them this year, um, I, I said, okay, it's time for, it's time for Ephesians to come uh, so I've been working on it, preparing it. I did do sort of at a pastor's conference, pastor's in-service back in May. I did use this material. I, I call it my dry run. But, but I was really preparing it. For, I didn't tell them that. <laughs> no, no, I didn't tell them that. But um, I may be dumb, but not that dumb. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, um, I was preparing it with Syker in mind. And so this that the Lord has been marinating within me for these five years um, is, um, is ready to, ready to uh, come out. Now, by his help and his blessing, I've entitled these studies as, what, what is the title on your notes? Let me ask you that. The, the Many Splendored Wisdom of God. Um, Ephesians is a huge book, not in how many chapters it has, but in, in the content, it's, it's understanding of, of the gospel, of the many splendored wisdom of God. Paul wants us to grasp the immensity, the grandeur of God's great design for, for, for the salvation of the world, not just of us as individuals, but of God's great design as consummated 
and brought to its conclusion in our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything, it is all summed up and, and brought to fruition in him. This marvelous design, this marvelous plan is the mystery that he talks about. He, he's going to talk about this established before creation, God established before creation, but it's been hidden from the ages and is now revealed in Christ, and it makes sense of everything, of the Old Testament, of all that God's been doing. He wants us to um, um, come to realize then the great privileges that are ours as we partake in God's plan, uh, grand design for the redemption of the world. And if there's anything in studying Ephesians I came to realize is that our understanding of salvation and of God's grace is way too small. Um, you know, Paul keeps talking here about to the praise of the glory of his grace. So the, the massiveness, the wonder, the immensity, the grandeur of God's plan of salvation, and then the privileges that we are given to enjoy within that, that plan. It's not all about us. It's about the redemption of the world, but we're part of that. And there's a strong emphasis here on the inclusion of the nations. Most of the time we translate that Gentiles, but the word means nations. And I like to put it that way because, of course, we are the nations, but that reminds us of the mission implications of, of what Paul has to say about Ephesians. God's great plan is for the inclusion of people from all the nations in the, in, in the body of Christ, in the people of God, in the new heaven, in the new earth. Um, then for third, he wants us to walk in these privileges, to grasp the immensity of God's design, to begin to understand and to grasp the great privileges that are ours through the grace of God, and then to walk in these privileges. And walk is, walk, he uses the word walk a lot of times, but walk is very concrete. It's not just live, it's walk. Walk is step by step. It's what you do each day, and it's going somewhere. And it's a great biblical image. And the old, you can describe the Old Testament as walking in the ways of the Lord. Blessed is one who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And Paul tells us elsewhere to, we're in, the, in the New Testament, then we walk uh, according to the Spirit, which is not different from the ways of the Lord. It's just the Spirit in us doing that. And so that's a, a grand biblical image of walking concretely day by day on the path that God, God chooses and so for us and shows us. So the third then is to grasp the, the first is to grasp the immensity, to, to begin to, uh, of God's design, of the great privileges that are given us, and then uh, as part of that, and then to walk in the ways of the Lord. Now the first three chapters of Ephesians focus on the many splendored wisdom of God in various ways. The grand plan of God and our privileges in it, what God has for us in it as part of the people of God. The last three chapters focus on walking in these privileges, walking in these ways. We're not going to be able to finish the last four chapters. We're only going to go through 520. And I know you're all going to tell me I'm a coward because 521 starts about submit to one another, wives to husbands and all of that. And you're all going to tell me I'm a coward. There is an outline, but I only have nine days. So I'm going straight through Ephesians as fast as I can. There is an outline there, and I'm hoping to record those uh, studies for those last two lessons and put them on my blog. So if you want to 
follow up on that, you can. Okay, so today then, we're coming to Ephesians 1. The first, the first unit of Ephesians, and we call it is greetings and thanksgiving and opening prayer. This is the introduction to the book, Ephesians 1, 1 to 23. We're thinking of it as the introduction. I've chosen a picture from Ephesus. This is the gate to the medieval city. The gate lets you in the city. These first two sections of Scripture that we're going first to, first two studies together, uh, the first chapter of Ephesians is, is the opening, the introduction to the, the book of Ephesians. And we're going to focus today, and that's the last slide that will be up there today. I'm depending on your handouts instead of these slides. But Thanksgiving today, we're going, the grand opening of Ephesians is uh, verses 1 to 14 is Paul's thanksgiving. And we probably should read that and get it before us. Um, it is, I think it's printed. Is it printed in that? No, I didn't. In, in um, yes, it is. Um, it doesn't matter if you read it in the version that I've got there or not. It's a New American Standard, I think, but it's also um, occasionally I've adapted it a, a little bit. But it, would somebody just read? Maybe I should do it because of the microphone. You won't be able to hear. All right. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the addresser, the, the writer and the addressees. Then the, then the um, section on Thanksgiving begins in earnest in verse 3 through verse, and goes through verse 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he lavished on us, which he, with which he graced us, which he poured out on us in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the removal of our transgressions, according to the riches of his grace, which he abounded, I'm going to change that word there, to us, in all wisdom and understanding, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he set forth in time, in him, as a plan for the, for the fullness of the times, to bring all things together, to sum all things up, to grasp all things in one, in Christ, things in heaven and things on the earth. Oops. Is that all I got? I got to read a few more verses, don't I? Hmm. Okay, I don't know how that got left off. Okay, I didn't know, hadn't noticed that. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, 
who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's have a look at the opening greeting before we address the, the thanksgiving. It's very important. Who writes the letter and to whom is it written and what kind of greeting does he give? We can read over it so easy. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. We've read the letters of Paul and they open with something like that. We've re read them often. We can just slip over it. Very important. Most of us today, if, if, if we were to say, well, why do you believe the New Testament is the Word of God? We would say, well, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. And I believe that. And the New Testament writers believe that. But that's not the first thing the early Christians would have said. They would have said, this is the legacy of the apostles. Now, who were the apostles? Jesus appointed the apostles to be his representatives. Their authority is his authority. It is, it is Jesus' authority. And to be an apostle then was to be a special representative of Jesus with the mission not only of proclaiming, but of defining, of telling what the gospel was and how we should live and explaining it. So it's very important that Paul begins by saying, Paul, an apostle of whom? of Jesus Christ, so he is officially, he writes, he's not putting it here, putting PhD after his name just to brag, or professor of so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, et cetera, et cetera. I remember when we lived in Sierra Leone seeing somebody that had, you know, B-A, M-A, et cetera, after their name. You know, this is not, you, that was supposed to be funny, you know, <laughs> but, um, but uh, um, the, um, this is not just him bragging himself. This is giving his status. Why do I have the, why am I writing this book to you? Because Jesus has pointed me as his apostle, his special representative to, to share the gospel with you, to tell you what it is, and to, since I have been the one who evangelized you, to shepherd you in, in, the, in the Christian walk. And this is by the, it's an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. I'm not doing this on my own, folks. Jesus has appointed me, and God has established this. It's according to his will. Then to whom is he writing? To whom is he writing? The saints who are in Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, um, in many of the early manuscripts, the word Ephesus isn't there. And mo many people think that this was sent to Ephesus, but also to other cities in the area. But what I want to focus on is not Ephesus, but saints. To the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Saints, of course, means holy ones. That means they are set apart to God. But it is more than their position of being set apart to God. They are set apart to God for God, and they are beginning to reflect God's character. God is making them holy in the sense of reflecting his character. You know, the whole Bible is about coming to know God as, and being part of the people of God, as far as we're concerned personally, the whole Bible is about that, and then reflecting his character. To be, you cannot walk in fellowship with God without being like him. And so the saint, he's addressing people then who, who are believers, who are set apart to God, and their lives are in the, pro, they are reflecting God's character and in the process of reflecting it more as they walk with him. And there are also those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Are you one of Jesus' people today? I think you probably are. You wouldn't be here. 
the book then is for you. It's not just for people at Ephesus. If you are walking with him and he's making you holy and you are faithful in him, this book is for you. And to study it will bring that process further along in your own heart and in your own life. I'll go a step further. If you're not, but if you want to, the book is for you. As you listen to what this book has to say and what God will say to us through it and grasp it with one great big yes, just with one great big grasp of yes, you will be surprised at what God will do in your life. And so that is the, it's an invitation. Here is God's authoritative word and we are included in it. This is, this is for us. Now get the greeting. Grace to you and peace from our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we have said that so many times, so, so uh, that it can kind of just slide over us. Grace is very much like the, the, the word used here for grace is very much like, it's not identical with, but very much like the traditional greeting in, in the Greek language uh, from the time. And peace, of course, was a, a Hebrew kind of greeting. But the two have come together here to form a distinctive Christian greeting. Grace. Paul's going to talk to you about the riches of God's grace and to the glory of his grace. We have such a puny idea sometimes of the grace of God. We call it his unmerited favor. Yeah, that's it. But it's so much more than that. God had worked for us. God's grace, everything is dependent on God's grace. And both of these terms are going to be expounded in Ephesians. This first section will focus on grace. Later on, there'll be more on peace. But it's God's great grace that comes in and saves and changes and is the many-splendored wisdom of God and brings us to God himself, which produces peace. Now, peace is not just sort of feeling calm inside. And peace is not just the, uh, uh, the, that, that um, absence of conflict in the world among nations. Peace is the wholeness. It includes those things, but peace is the wholeness and the well-being that God wants to bring to his people. It is the harmony that, with which he wants them to live and the joy and the benefit and the blessing of being the people of God. So Paul begins by wishing them grace to you and peace. And from whom? From God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, from that springboard, Paul is going to go to, in verse 4, to this grand Thanksgiving passage that is here. Um, now, it was normal to begin a letter after the greeting with Thanksgiving, but Paul takes those normal things and makes something very abnormal out of them. He expands this. You know, he, it's, it's as if he said grace and peace through our Lord Jesus Christ, and he just cannot contain himself. He's got to start talking about it, about the glory and the wonder about it, wonder of it. And so he begins his thanksgiving, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, blessed be God, that's a, a traditional way of Jewish, of, Jew, of Jewish prayer. It's in the Old Testament, it was contemporary Judaism till this day to begin by saying, blessed be God um, who made the Creator and all, what, whatever. So Paul is praying as, as an Old Testament, he believes the Old Testament. Blessed be God, but, but God now is still, the God in, is still the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who brought his people out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. That's how the Old Testament, God is defined in the Old Testament, you know. 
He's the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who made covenant to them and brought his people out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, and delivered them and redeemed them. It's still that God, but now he is defined as, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, because as he's going to explain to us, all things have been brought to conclusion in Christ. And he has the, been revealed as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we will see, then we are his children. The people are his children. The fullness of everything is in Christ. And so he begins by saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has done what? What's the fundamental statement that he's done? He's blessed us. Keep going. With every spiritual blessing, where? What else? In Christ, blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, in the heavenly places in Christ. Every word is, is very weighty there. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. You know, it's easy for us to sort of, uh, spirituals up here, you know, materials down here. This is where we live every day. Yeah, yeah, spiritual blessings, they're up here, you know, but that doesn't really affect me very much. And if you think of spiritual as ethereal, spiritual as sort of unreal, spiritual as um, just emotional feeling, that's, that's totally not what Paul is saying. For him, spiritual is real. It is more real. It is, it is eternal blessing. It is what matters. These are the blessings that pertain to not only to heaven, but to the new heaven and the new earth, to eternity. These are, these are the things that are really real and matter, every spiritual blessing that we could need. And where is he blessed them with, us with? In the heavenly places, um, in the heavenly spheres, in the heavenly dimension. What word could we, could we use there? This is one of the things that really hooked me on Ephesians. Because as some of you know, I've spent a good bit of my life studying Hebrews. I've done two Bible studies on Hebrews here. Somebody asked me if I was going to do a Bible study on Hebrews. I said, no, no, no. I've done two, two of those here. No, that's not, 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 not. But uh, Hebrews is all about Jesus has entered into the most holy place, and we have access right into the holy of holies. We are to live in that place. And I started reading Ephesians, and I'm thinking, man, Paul has the same idea here. In the heavenly sphere. Friends, when you walk with the Lord, you do not, your, your ultimate home is not here. You do not belong here. You do not have to even today live merely here. You're, you, you, we walk and we live here, but we live in the heavenly dimension as well, in, in a different reality. We do that, it's, it's not necessary. Sometimes you may not feel like it, Feelings are inconsistent. You know that? All of our feelings come and go. Did you ever notice that? C.S. Lewis talks about the law of indulation. Sometimes you feel great, and sometimes you're not as great, and there's no external reason except you. But, but it is a reality, and sometimes we're very aware of it, but it is a reality of our lives through prayer, through drawing near to God, through knowing God. And believe me, you know, that's, of course, that is... That is the ultimate, to know God. We're being desperate for God and knowing, as we heard last night, and knowing, knowing Him. But um, the heaven, we have the privilege, we are citizens of heaven, we have the privilege 
of living in that dimension. I don't know how to tell you what it is and <laughs> until you experience it, but many of you know. Through prayer and through Scripture and through walking in communion with the Lord, we can be in a place where there's not another Christian, but know that, and we are there, but we are, there's also, we're also connected somewhere else. And someday the two are going to be together in the new heaven and the new earth. When, God re, when Christ returns, they will be together. But, with every, but, but they, those blessings are, are, are for us there. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, in the heavenly dimension, in the heavenly sphere, that's where we live today. And of course, every time here, Paul says, in Christ. And in the original language, that's climactic every time at the end of the sentence. It climaxes what has been before and introduces. The translations don't always do it like that. So that is, that's, Paul, and Paul is thanking God then for every spiritual blessing that we have in the heavenly places in Christ. All that is eternal, our redemption, our joy in the Lord, our deliverance. Now, he is going to explain that more fully. This is his intro statement. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And he begins to explain it immediately. He says, just as, and what does he say, just as? He's chosen us in him when? Before the foundation of the world, what? That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, we mustn't get too all worried about this, this language of chosen before the foundation of the world and predestined. Some of our Calvinist friends have taken this scripture and pressed it far beyond what Paul intended. It's known as over-interpretation. We're sometimes guilty of it, too. We press the words to mean something that the original writer never had any intention of meaning. Paul is not trying to tell us that God has chosen some people to salvation and damned others from before the, to, to salvation uh, from the beginning of the world. What he's telling us is that this is no Johnny-come-lately thing that God just thought up. God didn't look down and say, the world's in the mess. I better make a plan. No, 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 no. This wonderful plan of salvation, God has established it in the beginning, and it is all the work of God. Yes, I have to respond. It is really misleading to say you don't do anything for your salvation. You don't earn your salvation. Of course not. You can't earn it with works, and you could never provide it for yourself. God has provided it, but you do. We are called to believe, to repent, and to believe, and to obey. That's, that's, but um, now I got off on that little track. Um, oh, uh, but he, is, he has planned this for us and that we should be holy. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this a little bit later on today, but holy here is, as I said before, being um, uh, in fellowship with God and reflecting his character. Holy is being set apart for God. Holy is knowing God. We tend to think about holiness, if we're not careful, though we're getting better about this, it's simply what we can't do. And there are some things, if you walk with God, that you won't do. That's quite clear. In Scripture it is. But holiness is knowing God and reflecting His character, and holiness is great liberation. There was a holiness song, Glorious Freedom. Wonderful freedom. 
Jesus says, God has is liberated, he's liberated me from my bondage to addictions. He's liberated me from the sin that bound me. He's liberated me from those things that warped my life and twisted me and turned me away from him. So it is, it is God has planned this for us from the beginning. He didn't plan just that you would go to heaven and not go to hell. It's so much more than that that you would be liberated and set free. You would be holy and in fellowship with him and blameless before him. That is totally his work. Believe me, I am not in, my, in and of myself, I am not blameless before the Lord. But he's going to make me that way. And all of it is summarized in love, the great love of God for us, and then our responding love for him. You know, love never begins with us. It begins with God. God so loved us, that's not, and he first, we, he loved us, he first loved us before we loved him. That's not just New Testament teaching. That's been there from, from the, from the get-go, from creation, from God's redemption in the Old Testament. I should have a look at my notes here. He begins then to describe specifically um, these blessings more specifically. That's the general statement as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. No Johnny come lately planned. To be holy and blameless before him with love. What follows that? For, for what? He predestined us as for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So um, that holiness then, that intimacy with God is, yes, we're to be in fellowship with God and to reflect his likeness, and it, there's, there's no way to explain that in Scripture there's no, you cannot explain it with anything short of becoming the children of God or the sons of God. Sons is used not to exclude daughters, but where it is used, it's because the sons in that time were heirs. And so it's the children of God. We become heirs with him. We, we have all of the privileges of sonship. And we begin, we, we become, we, be, we begin to reflect who he is. Christ is formed within us. One way to say it is that God puts his DNA in us. Now, I don't understand how that works, okay? I'm never going to become God. God is always God. But he puts his DNA in us. We become not only the heirs with the privileges of, of being his children, but he puts his own likeness in us to make us like himself. This is the glorious privilege he has for us. Friends, if you, if you want to really understand the glory of this privilege that God has for us, just compare it with what our Muslim friends and neighbors believe. Their, their, their most fundamental principle in Arabic is taweed. It means the oneness of God. Of course, in one's, we believe in the oneness of God, but not like they do. 
God is absolutely one, absolutely transcendent. He does not descend to this earth. He does not condescend. You can, you can, you can associate nothing with him. All we know is his rules and his laws, and we are to recognize that oneness and keep his laws on pain of torture at the day of judgment. Um, that, is, that is it. There is no intimate fellowship with God. When you compare that with the Scripture, which from the beginning God has been reaching out to us, and we find His ultimate is, is not only that we would be holy like Him and, and blameless before Him, but we are actually to be His children and reflect His character with His DNA within us. We see how different it is. What we hold to be blessed and precious, they consider blasphemy. Uh, and there's no, other, there's no other religion in the world that offers us this union and this fellowship with God. Now, it's not absorption. It's not that we cease to be who we are. Whether it is by coming into fellowship with God, we become fully what God intended for us to be, the joyful beings reflecting His character and in fellowship with Him. And let me tell you, friends, there is absolutely nothing. This isn't in my notes. I'm throwing it in. There's absolutely nothing else in the world that will satisfy you Except, except knowing God. I went to my 50th, a few years ago, I went to my 50th, I won't tell you how many, high school reunion. And I looked around at those people and some of them were pretending like they'd accomplished something. Some of them had accomplished something. Some of them were just being normal. But I looked around at them and I thought to myself, by this time in your life, you don't have Jesus. You don't have anything because nothing else satisfies. So, be, so then this is, this is the fundamental statement. We're going to be holy. We're going to be like him. He's, he's going to remove, we're going to be blameless before him, and, and he's going to make us his children. Then we move in God's grand design here. We're in four, four through six on you. Um, then we move to a more specific statement. Again, the predestination language, let me say it. It's the same here. He foreordained doesn't mean that, that Paul never intended this to say that, that God's going to, some are going to be saved and he's going to damn others and they don't have any, there's no, no um, nothing you can do about it. Like the old school Baptist preachers, pre, old school Baptist preachers said, sinners, you're in a bad way and I don't know what to tell you to do about it because you're just predestined. But no, Paul is not saying that. What he is, he is again emphasizing the grandeur of God's plan. God, this has got, been God's intention from the beginning. He predetermined this privilege for, for his people. This is his, his grand and his many splendored wisdom of, in redeeming the world. Um, then we come to a more specific um, um, description of what's going on in verse, um, oh, oh, I forgot, to the praise of the, his glorious grace which he has lavished on us in the beloved. You know, Paul cannot stop praising God for this. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Not just to the praise of his grace, but the glory of his great grace. And the word I've, I've liked to translate it lavished, it can be translated in different ways, but it's related to the word for grace. And let me just put it this way. God's not stingy with his grace. To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he's, he pours out on us, and he's ready to pour out on us. You don't have to beg God to give you his grace. You don't have to um, say, well, uh, you know, please. Well, it's good to say please, but, 
but he, 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 he abundantly, he lavished it upon us. He's graced us with his grace um, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he has just lavished and poured out upon us. Um, uh, and he's poured out it upon us in whom? In the beloved. As I said, every, every so often we come to an end in Christ, and that's the conclusion of one section and the introduction the foundation of the next. This to me is the classic. This is the crucial one. This is the beginning one because Christ is called the beloved. In the beloved. Some translations, I've seen it translated, the one whom God loves. That's too weak. That's not there. That's interpretive. It's just the beloved is what is there. He is God's only beloved son, the one whom God loves. But he's also the one who is beloved by his people, the one who has provided all this grace for us, and the one in union with him we have this grace. Apart from him, we do not have it. So he is God's beloved, but he is our beloved. And Paul sets us up here right in this Thanksgiving with that frame of that, that frame of reverence. To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he has lavished upon us, not over here, not over there, not over there, not up there, not down there, but he's lavished upon us in the beloved. Now he's going to get more specific. Let's get some more specific um, instructions, uh, 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 knowledge about this grace that he's lavished on us. I've got to watch my time. Okay. Um, what does it say next? What do we have in, in whom, uh, in the beloved, in whom what? In whom we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins, you'll see I've translated that a little bit differently, the removal of our transgressions. In whom we have redemption through his blood. What is redemption? It's, this, is, this is Paul's first, in terms of how we get these blessings, this is his first statement here of how, what Christ does. What is redemption? Being redeemed, being brought back, being set free, being delivered. And it, it's costly. It is costly, and, but it is, it is, it is, it is, there, there's a, a cost involved in it but it is also a setting free, a, re, a redeeming, a, a redemption. You redeem a slave. Redeem somebody from bondage. So redemption through his blood. Recent years I've come to a much more profound understanding of the atonement. I've also come to an understanding that I don't understand it. I mean, I understand a lot about it, but I don't understand it. I can't, don't fully comprehend it. But I do know this, that the precious blood of Christ is sufficient for every sin that's ever been committed, for every sin that ever will be committed, for every sin that could possibly be committed. And it is sufficient to set us free from those things that bind us, no matter how, what, what they are, how much they bind us. Um, it, it, is, it is the precious blood of Christ, the eternal Son of God, fully God and fully man, as we heard last night, 100%, 100%, not half and half. Um, half and half is only cream you put in your coffee. But, um, 
became a human being, assumed all that we are, and not just died, but suffered on the cross a cruel and abusive death to, to redeem us. I'm not sure how all that works, friends, but I'm convinced that it's our, our sins were taken to the cross. Our abuses were taken to the cross. The things we've suffered are taken to the cross. He took the, our suffering, the things that were done wrong to us, he took them to the cross. You know, some liberals have accused us in our doctrine of atonement of, divine, of believing divine child abuse. I can hardly say those words because it's blasphemy. But there is a grain of truth, not in it, that God committed child abuse because Christ came willingly to the cross, but in the cross, he took your abuse and my abuse on himself. And he said, I know what you've gone through. I know where you are. I know you're hurt better than you do. And I'm taking it into myself. And people have said, well, it's hard to talk about God as father when people haven't had a good father. I understand that. If you have had a good father, it's easier. But that's also the point. Because God is the father that you didn't have. And he has redeemed you. And he loves you like the one that you didn't have, the one that didn't love you. And so God has given to us as our Father. He can redeem the hurts and the pains and the suffering that we went through and the abuse that we went through. The blood of Christ redeems us and sets us free. That's the first thing Paul wants to say. And the second statement is closely related to it the removal of our transgressions. Yes, it is the normal word translated forgive. And forgive is a good translation if you consider it broadly enough. The problem is, for us, forgiveness has become such a narrow word. It means merely straightening things out on the books uh, of heaven, or maybe, or the computer program of heaven now, or maybe, I don't know if they use a spreadsheet or not, but maybe, um, uh, maybe we think of it as restoring relationships, and it certainly is that. But it's a much stronger word. So I, and in the, in the secular world around the New Testament, it was used regularly to mean removal. And I'm not talking about some kind of doctrine of eradication or anything like that. Let's leave all that aside. We're not, we're not messing in that, those waters at all. But the removal of our sin means that God sets us free from it, that he takes it away, that he cancels it. That does not mean there won't be, if, if we've done certain things in life that are harmful, it doesn't mean we won't have to suffer for those. Or there won't, but it does mean that God will redeem even that suffering. He will redeem even that for our good. It is, it is the removal of our transgressions. And how does he remove them? By, to what degree? What does it say in the very next statement? According to the riches... Give me the whole sentence. According to the riches of his grace. <laughs> How rich is God's grace? <laughs> How big is it? You know, you, you, can't, you can't quantify it. He's the infinite loving God. You can't quantify it. It's be, but, and, but he's not dealt with us, I said before, with stinginess. But here, let me get it for you. No. 
uh, but, uh, but according to the, the abundant riches of his grace, he has done this for us. Um, and again, it's, it's a different word now, but again, which he is, according to the riches, let me get back here to the text myself. Uh, according to the riches of Christ, which he has abounded toward, toward us, Paul is using another word to emphasize the same thing, even though I translated lavish on your paper. I really shouldn't have there. Which uh, he abounds toward us in all wisdom and understanding. Now you know, you and I both, you know, that some wealthy people don't lavish things on their children with wisdom and understanding. Sometimes they spoil them. Sometimes it's a mess. When we lavish things, we don't always do it in the best way. God's grace is infinite. It's absolutely sufficient. But he, he knows how to apply it. It's, it's rich and, and abundant and, and, and does what he attends, and he uses it in exactly the way it should be used. That's part of this meaning here, he does, with all wisdom and understanding. But it also means... In giving us his grace, he gives us wisdom and understanding. Um, he lavishes, uh, his, he abounds his grace upon us. He does it in exactly the way we need it. But he also begins to give us wisdom and understanding. Now, that we receive that humbly. Um, to tell you the truth, the more I've studied the word of God and the better I know God, the more I know I don't know him. The more I know there is to know and the more it makes you really bow, bow, bow before him. So, you know, you can almost guarantee it. The person who's going around pompousing about they have wisdom or understanding, they don't have it. Because that's not the way you have divine wisdom. <laughs> that's not divine wisdom. But here he's lavish, and he's in all wisdom and understanding, and he's been so good as to make known to us what? The mystery of his will. Uh, according to the good pleasure, his good pleasure, which he has established beforehand in him for the dispensation of the fullness of times to sum up, to bring all things together in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. So he's made known to us, to us the mystery of his will. Now, the mystery is, um, see, I don't want to say this, it's not like an Agatha Christie or um, a um, um, Sherlock Holmes, thanks, that's the word I was looking for, uh, a Sherlock Holmes mystery where when it's discovered, you know all about it. The mystery of God's will, it's a mystery because it was not clear from the ages. Yes, there are things in the Old Testament that say the Gentiles are going to be brought in. Yes, there are prophecies and so forth. But all of a sudden, the mystery that was not known then has been revealed in Jesus Christ, and all that's gone before makes sense in light of it, but Paul is going to talk about this more later on. But, but, now, but what has happened is in Christ, in, in the work of Christ, in Christ's death and resurrection, in his incarnation, death and resurrection, Incarnation is a big word. And his taking on all of our broken humanity in himself. And his death, his suffering and death and his resurrection. All has been bring, is being brought to consummation. That's the mystery. Now you understand it in one sense. 
But in another sense, how it works, you don't understand it at all. And you or I never will. We won't in heaven. We'll, we can understand about it. We can know... Um, we can know about it and understand it, what it is and how it works and the beauty of it. But really, what God has done is forever. A glorious mystery that brings joy and delight to our hearts. So he's made known the mystery of his will. Um, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, um, Fullness of, to unite everything, bring everything together in Christ. Things in heaven and things on earth. It's your salvation, but it's the salvation of the universe. It's the salvation of all things in the heavenly sphere and, and the earthly sphere. I'm not quite done, but I'm going to have to bring this to a conclusion. I don't know whether to go quickly or try to finish it up tomorrow. Um, I think I'm just going to finish this a little bit tomorrow because it, it moves on now. Well, I'll, I'll do a, a real quick survey here. In verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, so forth. Now Paul, up to now Paul's we's have been inclusive we's, you and us together. Now it's exclusive. We who first trusted in Christ, God planned us to the praise of his glory so others would see. And then he's going to say, but you also, you also are included. You've heard the word, you've, you've heard the gospel of truth, the word of your salvation. Okay, we're going to quit. Um, I'll finish that tomorrow before we start the next, the next lesson. Let's pray. Father, we pray your blessing on this word we've heard. And Lord, I pray your rich blessing on the song leader in this next service and on our evangelist, Brother John Juniman, who's going to speak to us. May your name be glorified. We love you today. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.